Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. If you were here in the first week, we kind of found out we're all murderers, right? Is that, if you're here for the first time, sorry. I just, you just got thrown into the deep end here, all right? So, and then we found out last week that we're all adulterers, right? It's not looking good for us so far, if I'm being honest. We're all pretty messed up. And uh, I shared with you in the first week that uh, the first week was a good way to start because it was the one of these six that I thought we'd all agree on. Because they say you're not supposed to commit murder. And that's a good thing, right? I think all of us would agree you probably shouldn't commit murder. But Jesus took it to a whole new level, didn't he? He said, if you even get angry at somebody, you're guilty of murder. And then in week two, they said, you're not supposed to commit adultery or have sexual relationship with somebody outside of your spouse, right? But Jesus took it another notch up and he says, but I say to you, don't even look at somebody else with lust in your heart. And if you do, you're guilty of adultery. And we were left kind of being like, well, I guess all of us are guilty of murder and adultery then. There was probably some agreement even last week in the room. You know, you probably shouldn't cheat on your spouse. It's hurtful. It's harmful. Even if you don't think it's quote-unquote sin, you might think at least it's not a good thing to do to your spouse, right? But today, we get to one that there could be some real disagreement in the room on. There could be some people in the room that have completely different feelings, thoughts, opinions, controversies, um, a lot of different voices, speaking into their mind on this one. Now, before Jesus gave all of these statements, and I'll give you the third one we're going to look at today, before he gave all these phrases, he issued a warning. This was the warning. We've looked at it every week, right? He's talking to this crowd. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Probably thousands of people either standing or sitting on this mountainside listening to Jesus preach. And in that crowd is a group of religious leaders, Pharisees, uh, teachers, Teachers of religious law. I don't know, did I back up or something? I've been, I'm, I'm trying to eat less. I'm trying to eat less, guys. I'm just saying, that was me backing up. I'm sorry. But uh, in that crowd is a group of religious leaders, teachers of the law. And, and, and in Israel at that time, it worked differently to today. These guys would be kind of like if you took all the pastors and priests um, and rabbis in America, and you morph them together with all the congressmen and senators, and also with all the sheriffs. You know, they were kind of everything, kind of judge, jury, executioner. They were political leaders. They were religious leaders. They were civil leaders. They were kind of rolled all into one at that time in that culture. And so these guys carried a big stick. They, um, uh, they held a lot of weight in the community, right? And they're in the crowd listening to Jesus preach, and I can almost see, you now the Bible doesn't say this, but it almost feels like Jesus stops and looks at them when he says this warning. And this is the warning he issues. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness, big fancy church word for right living, right? Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's steep. Because in the opinion of all those people listening... Nobody would be living a more righteous life than these Pharisees and teachers of religious law. Nobody would be doing more of what God says than this group of leaders. 
And so if they weren't good enough to get into heaven, how could any of us get into heaven? If they're not living a righteous enough life, a right life with God enough, how could I ever live the right kind of life? And that's kind of the point. Of all these statements Jesus issues, he takes what they've been taught and what they've heard. He raises the bar and he says, you think you're doing okay because you haven't killed somebody. Hey, it's not like I killed somebody, but I'm saying you got to raise it to a whole new level and you can't even get angry at him. I always get angry, Lord. What am I going to do with that? I, I can't not get angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery and that'd be good. Yeah, we haven't committed adultery, but I'm telling you, you can't even think lustful thoughts about somebody else. That's the kind of righteousness that God requires. And you're like, how could I ever do that? I've thought so many things about so many people already. And that's how each of these play out. Now let me read you the third one we're going to look at. And I want to just encourage you, if you don't know what we're talking about today because you haven't been here before or, or you just didn't hear through the grapevine or whatever, I'm glad you came. But you came for some heavy stuff today, all right? So what we're talking about today is marriage and divorce. I know nobody likes that. It's ugly, and our culture doesn't want to hear much about it. But I just want to share with you God's truth today. So let me read you the next phrase from Jesus. I'm going to do my best not to necessarily preach at you today, but to just teach through God's Word together, okay? Let's look at God's Word, do a little Bible study, see if we can't find some important information from God in some agreement with him, okay? So here's what they say, you ready? Remember, you have heard is code for they say, right? You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce, okay? Now, where it says the law, that doesn't mean the Old Testament. Now, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but I'm gonna show you from the Bible that what they're talking about here does not mean the Old Testament in this case, It means like kind of rabbinical law, like they've come up with some laws in addition to the Old Testament. This is one of them. Hey, you can divorce your wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. In other words, what they're saying is it's okay to get a divorce as long as you do the paperwork. All right, now I want you to know that it sounds like a biblical Bible times kind of thing, but this is the common philosophy in America today, is it not? You can get a divorce for any reason you want, as long as you file the paperwork, right? Is that, okay, so we got this same rule in our society today. You've heard it said in the law that you can divorce your spouse for any reason you want, as long as you give them a bill of divorcement, as long as you file the correct paperwork. Now, don't get hung up on the fact that it says a man can divorce his wife. This is kind of going both ways, but in that culture at that time, women were like property, And thank God for Christianity, because Christianity, more than anything else in the history of the world, has defended women and elevated them to equality status. Despite what you might hear on TV, despite what other people might have you think, it isn't the United States government that's done that. It isn't some kind of fringe group that fights for women's rights. No, it's Jesus Christ that has elevated women to equality status. And this is a good example of that, but in this culture... Women couldn't divorce their husband. It was coming not too long after that. Greek and Roman culture would introduce that into the world. But in this culture, in Israel, a woman had no rights. They didn't vote. They couldn't own property. They couldn't hold down a job. They couldn't earn money. And they surely couldn't walk on their husband, who technically by law owned them. 
And they've heard this law before that a man can divorce his wife for any reason he wants as long as he files the correct paperwork. But the next verse, Jesus says, but I say something different. I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. I know some of you are like looking for the door already, okay? And and I don't necessarily like it either. But let's just read what God says. Let's look at the truth together. Let's not listen to what they say. Let's just listen to what God says. Stay with me. If you've been at our church for any length of time, hopefully you know enough to trust us at this point. But just trust God. If you can't trust us, trust that God is not your enemy for a second. He's not out to wreck your life. Let's just trust what he says above the other voices just for a second. I say something different to you. I say you don't get divorced. How's that sound? That's what I say, Jesus is saying to him. And if you do get divorced, everybody involved in the divorce ends up guilty of adultery. Yikes. What do I do with that? I don't even know what to do with that. Like as an individual, I'm thinking like, am I guilty of divorce, adultery, murder, all these things? Kind of, even the people that you remarry, you drag them into it, it says, right? Even anyone who marries a divorced woman then also commits adultery. It's like, that person didn't even have anything to do with the divorce. And Jesus throws them onto the pile here. Wow, it's rough. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to read through some passages from God's Word with you about divorce and marriage and remarriage and all that. I want you to hear what God says about the subject, a totality of it. I'm not going to read you everything the Bible has to say about it. There's too much to do that this morning. But I want to read you a good chunk of stuff that God says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I want to just give you six principles about those things. So if you're a note taker, jot these down. Maybe you won't agree with all of them up front, but just hang with me and see if we can't find some stuff that makes sense from God's Word today. You ready? So let me give you some passages, and then let's go through these six principles. Here's the first passage I want to reference is where this law came from. from came from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the rabbis, they had taken this Word from the Bible, and they had morphed it or twisted it into a law for society. Here's where it comes from. It comes from Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. All right, now I want you to know this doesn't have anything to do with adultery. This doesn't have anything to do with uh, sexual deviance or cheating on their spouse. This is just, he doesn't like her. She didn't make him a nice enough breakfast. She hasn't been kind enough to him. She isn't doing enough of the dishes around the house. And he doesn't like her. She does not please him, having discovered something wrong with him. Now, every man in the room is like, <laughs> I better not say that. I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't take very long in to marriage. You're like, I didn't think she was like that. I thought before we got married, she didn't even talk to me like that, you know? And so it's like, but you get upset. She has something about her you don't like. She didn't do her hair right. How dare she cut her hair short in the summer? You don't like her. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes her a document of divorce. There's that idea again, the paperwork, right? He hands it to her, and he sends her away from his house. 
Now look, he goes on, okay? Verse 2. When she leaves the house, she's free to marry another man. I need you to keep this in your mind, like how this legally kind of plays out. But if the second husband also turns against her, poor woman, everybody can't stand her. He turns against her too, writes her another document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away. Or if that guy just dies, I don't know what that is. Or if the other guy just dies. The first husband is not allowed to remarry his original wife. He can't go back to her. This would be defilement. The Lord would hate this. It would be detestable to him. Okay, stay with me just for a second. I know this is confusing, kind of Old Testament legal kind of jargon from old Israel, right? But this is where the rabbis, the religious leaders, I'm going to show it to you in the Bible in just a second. Jesus addresses it. But they take this situation in Israel, they twist it to mean you can go ahead and get divorced for any reason you want as long as you file the paperwork. That's what it sounds like, right? If you just don't like her. But nowhere in those four verses that I just read, and come on, this is principle number one, you ready? Nowhere in those four verses that I just read did God ever command divorce, did he ever encourage us to do it, and did he ever put his stamp of endorsement on it? He didn't command it, he doesn't encourage it, he doesn't endorse it. You with me? That's a principle. Principle number one. It's not like God saying, yeah, you don't like her, go get divorced. She's, she's not treating you right, go ahead and divorce her. They were doing that. But God isn't telling them to do that. You see the difference? There's a lot of things I do that God isn't telling me to do. I eat a lot of food that God probably wouldn't tell me to eat. I eat a lot of saturated fat and red dye number five, and God probably be like, stop eating the red dye. No MSG, you know what I mean? But I just eat it all. There's a lot of things in my life I do that God probably wouldn't put his stamp of approval on. This is one of them. This is one of them. But this becomes the basis for this law or this rule they put into society, allowing men, allowing people to get divorced for any reason they want as long as they do the paperwork. And why I have to point out this principle is because this has crept into our church. When I say our church, I mean God's church. You get, you get that, right? Not, not just us who are here today, but all of God's followers, right? This the society has tricked us in this area. They've said a lot of things over the years, and we've bought it hook, line, and sinker. How do I know that? Because I hear it over the years. I hear it from people about to get divorced saying things like, I just have so much peace from the Lord about getting divorced. As if God is telling you to do it. As if God is being like, yeah, get out. You don't seem very happy. Get out. Save yourself. That isn't anywhere in God's word. Uh, a pastor in Southern California, maybe you've heard of him, fairly famous, John MacArthur. I was reading something he wrote this week, and a, a lady in his church wrote him a letter. I want to read you the letter this lady in his church wrote to him. It said this, Dear Pastor, my husband walked out on me in February. He called me two weeks later to tell me that he wanted a divorce and that God had given him perfect peace about it. And it was surely God's will. He tried to convince me God allowed divorce because the feeling of love was gone and so we were no longer c compatible. Our ex-pastor told him that if he wasn't in love with me and saw no hope for our marriage, that he ought to get a divorce. The Christian marriage counselor he'd been going to told him the same thing. What should I do? 
you see what, like, I know they say that. But Jesus is saying, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk out. Do, do you get how this can creep? It's, it's not a command from, the God, from God that if your wife doesn't make you the breakfast you want, that you kick her out the door. That if your husband isn't as kind to you as you'd like him to be, and you can't get, seem to get him to change, that you give up. Principle number one. All right, stay with me. Prince, let me read you another verse. Matthew chapter 19. Now in Matthew chapter 19, this is sometime later from Matthew chapter 5. These same religious leaders and Pharisees, they come to Jesus trying to trick him, trying to trip him up, trying to get him to say the wrong thing. They're really trying to get him to say that they disagree with that law from Deuteronomy chapter 24, which isn't actually a command from God, but they're trying to get him to say they disagree with Moses' instructions. If they can do that, they can turn the whole nation against them. So they come to him, and in verse 3, look at what they say to him. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? There's that same idea again, right? Hey, can I get divorced for any reason as long as I file the paperwork? Now listen to what Jesus says. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning... God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to, that's a great word, we're going to come back to that, is joined to his wife, and the two are united, another great word, are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now maybe you've been to weddings and you've heard preachers say that, what God has joined together, let not man you know, separate or, or split asunder, if you're doing in King James Version. Maybe you've heard that at a wedding, right? This is where it comes from. And he kind of presents this idea to them. Haven't you even read what's in God's Word? That the two people, a man and a woman, they come together and they're united as one and let nobody separate them. That word there that's translated in the NLT, uh, split apart. Right? And some translations say separate them and split apart. That's actually the word divorce. All throughout the rest of the Bible, that same Greek word is translated as divorce. Okay? So this is divorce. Split apart. What God has joined together. Shows up again in Mark chapter 10. Shows up again in the Old Testament 20, 30 times. It's all over this idea that two become one and they can't be split apart. All right, so principle number two, just keeping it real, what's in the Bible. Principle number two, marriage is between one man and one woman. I know everybody doesn't like that. I know they say that's not the way it's supposed to be, but I'm just reading you what's in God's word. Hasn't it been that way from the beginning? That one man and one woman will be united together. They would leave their parents and let nothing separate them. It's not between two men and a woman. It's not between two men it's not between a man and an animal. You can't have 17 wives. Marriage is not that. Marriage has been that way from the beginning in God's eyes, one man and one woman. So principle number two, marriage is between one man and one woman. Principle number three was in that same passage. Marriage is permanent. It's to be lifelong. You don't get to bail when you're unhappy, when they don't meet all your needs. Here's what Jesus is referencing. When he quotes this to these Pharisees, 
He's referencing Genesis chapter 2, way back at the beginning of the creation of man. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Adam says, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains, here's exactly what Jesus quoted, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, there's that same word again, joined to his wife, and here it is again, and the two are united into one. Do you see what's going on here? The Pharisees are trying to ask Jesus if divorce is permissible. And it's as if Jesus is saying to them, I don't even know if it's possible. Do you see it? Like, I don't even know if you can, I don't even know if you can take something that God joined together and break it apart. I don't know if you can take something that God has united into one and unwon it. I know that's not a word. Don't correct my grammar after church. I don't even know if you can do that. That's what Melissa was doing for us. It doesn't matter how much you would love to have one scrambled egg. It doesn't matter how much you'd love to make some poached eggs, some over-easy eggs, some soft-boiled eggs. There is no way to undo this scrambled mess. Do you get it? You say, but I really want to. I, I love you. I love you, and I'm glad you really want to, but Good luck trying to break it apart. Now, here's how I know that's true outside of God's word. Stay with me just for a second. Because anybody in the room that has been divorced, and, and there are lots of us here, right? Anybody in the room who has been divorced or been remarried or had kids with somebody who isn't your spouse, when that relationship ends, even if you file the paperwork and it's been a year, doesn't that old marriage have this way of kind of like still showing up somehow? And you think, I thought we were done. I thought we ununited. And a year later, they're annoying the heck out of you. How's that happen? Because I don't know if you can untie what God has tied together. I, I, I hate it for you. If you're here and you've been divorced and you're in a second marriage or a third marriage, you know in your heart that this is true. As much as we don't want it to be, it doesn't matter how much paperwork you file. Your paperwork can never untie the knot. There's still something there. That's what Jesus is trying to talk about to him. You want to know if it's permissible, and I don't even know if you can make it happen. You're trying to do something that might be impossible. Now listen to the rest of the passage where he addresses them. Listen to what he said, verse 7. They respond back to him. They say, then why did Moses command? I love that. Because he didn't command. You see how they twisted God's word? Why did Moses command that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? We read that Deuteronomy 24 passage, right? It wasn't a command. I, I read nothing that said, thus saith the Lord. Or the Lord has decreed from on high that if your wife displeases you, you have to get out. It's not a command. Why did Moses command that you were supposed to give her a divorce paperwork and send her away, they asked. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Moses permitted, not commanded, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession, not to her bad attitude, not to her inadequacies, but to your hard heart. But it was not what God had originally intended. You, you guys hear it, right? 
This is not what God originally intended. The reason it was permitted, I mean, I don't want to go through like a whole history lesson with you, but the reason that, they, that God permitted it through Moses was because of the hard heart of men in Israel at that time. Let's just get real about it. He, he permitted divorce as a way to protect women because their men were ditching them on the curb and saying, good luck sustaining your life now. I'm done with you. And so here comes this woman. She can't get remarried. She can't own property. She can't earn money. She's destitute because her husband didn't like the way she looked at him. And so along comes Moses and he says, God has allowed me to provide a way out for you so that the rest of your life doesn't have to be wrecked because your husband's heart is so hard. I'm not commanding it. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not promoting it. But I see what's going on. And there has to be a way out for you. Moses permitted it. But it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this. He goes on. Now listen to this. I tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now listen, if you're sitting there right now and you're like, I'm confused. This doesn't make sense. And I don't like it. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. Should I even get married? I'm remarried. Should I divorce the second one? I don't even know what to do. That puts you right in the exact right spot where you should be. Because that's just how his closest followers felt. Let me show it to you. The very next verse. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it's better not to even get married. And you'd think Jesus would be like, no, no, guys, go ahead, get married. This is what Jesus says. Jesus is about to go, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. Listen to what he says. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those to whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some are made eunuchs. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. That's rough. It's pretty rough. I know, this is not what you signed on for when you came to Three Strands today. I know it. I know it. You're like, I was looking, I mean, we're getting some truth, but I was looking for some grace. You know, stay with me for a second, okay? Stay with me, because I want you to see where God's going on this. Here's principle number four. Are you ready? God hates divorce. He hates it. Now, I didn't say he hates you. You with me, all right? I need you not to believe what they say. But to believe what God says. Disagreement does not equal hate. If we disagree, it doesn't mean I hate your guts. But God hates divorce. How do I know that? I'm going to prove it to you. You ready? Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Listen to this dialogue. God says, here's another thing that you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't seem to accept them with pleasure. You cry out to God, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Why doesn't God help me? Make my life better. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? There's that same idea. United, together, oneness, in body and in spirit? 
You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. The God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Well, God makes an allowance for divorce if someone has been sexually unfaithful. What he's trying to tell us is that even in those cases, he still hates it. He hates what it does to you. He hates what it does to them. He hates what it does to everybody involved, and he hates what it does to culture and society around you. He hates it. Why does he hate it? Because it can be traced back to sin. See, there was marriage before sin, but there just wasn't divorce. You say, what did I do? You want to justify yourself. It was all them. I get it. Don't do that yet. Just don't do that yet. Just stay with what God says for a second. Look back at Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to show you where the roots of divorce began. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. God is dishing out punishment for Adam and Eve having sinned. And when he comes to Eve, this is what he says. He said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Is that true? Preach, right? Then he goes on. She's got more punishment than that. He says, and you will desire to control your husband. Now, if you're like a King James person or some other translation, some of them misinterpret this passage in Hebrew. Instead of you will desire to control your husband, they will just say, your desire will be for your husband. That's a bad translation in Hebrew. I know that because the exact same word in Hebrew is used in the very next chapter when God is talking to Cain about his offering that isn't acceptable. He says, Cain, be very careful not to, not to disobey what I've told you to do because sin is always crouching right outside your door and sin desires to control you. It's the same exact word. Trust me, sin isn't thinking they love you. Sin isn't thinking like, oh, I just can't wait to hang out with you and love you. I just have to be around you. Like, no, sin wants to wreck you. All right, listen. So at the fall... When man and woman sinned, one of the results of that sin was that women now will desire to control their husbands. I don't, I'm not saying it. God said it. I'm not, I'm not telling you you're a control freak. But I'm just saying it's in there, right? But it doesn't stop there. Look what else happens. But he will rule over you. Now, I can tell you, after having sat with many, many couples on the brink of divorce, some who have gone through with divorce, Divorce, some who have reconciled, been in groups, talking to guys about divorce. You can trace a lot of marital problems back to these two things. A woman that is insisting on trying to change him to be what he's supposed to be. And a man who's taken all the authority and power and manipulation he can muster to lord it over his wife. Where did that all start? Right there. It isn't something we created today. It's something that came out of sin. Please silence your cell phone. I'm just, just messing with you. No, not really. Not really. That's awesome. All right, let me show you another verse. Luke 16, verse 18. For example, Jesus gives this example. A man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Is it sin or is it not sin? 
And anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Is it sin or not sin? I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to say what God actually says. Principle number five. You ready? Divorce is sinful and always does damage. I don't care how amicable you think it is, how both-sided you think it is, there's always battle scars from a divorce. And that next marriage you go into, I don't care how much you love Jesus, you're always bringing some damage into that relationship. It's just the way it is. Why? Because you can't unwind what God put together. And there's always going to be some residual omelet going on inside your heart. I hate it for you. I hate it for us. But it's just real, isn't it? Let me read you one more passage. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul describes about marriage. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to stop right there for a second in verse 21. Because so many people in our culture get ticked off about this whole idea of women submitting to their husbands and all that. But they never read the first verse of the paragraph. Did you read the first verse of the paragraph? Submit to each other. Okay, now what's that look like? Let's read what it looks like. For wives, this means submit to your husband as you would submit to the Lord. doesn't mean he is the Lord. He might think he's the Lord when he looks in the mirror with his shirt off, but he's not the Lord, all right? But you're supposed to submit to him as if you were submitting to the Lord. Not because he deserves it, not because he's so great, but because you're submitting to the Lord. Submit to him as you would submit to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the church. As, Christ, as the church submits to Jesus, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, he, she will be holy and without fault. Now listen to how he ends this paragraph, verse 31. As the scriptures say, he's going to tie this all back into marriage and the church and Christ. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. There's that idea again. This is a great mystery, but look at what it really is. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Mutual submission. Because it's supposed to be an example of how Jesus treats us as God's children. Your marriage, the purpose of your marriage... Is, is not to make you happy. Sorry. In fact, the purpose of your marriage is not to make your spouse happy. Sorry. The purpose of my marriage is not to make either of us happy. Listen, you with me? The purpose of my marriage, from a guy's perspective, is for me to love my wife so sacrificially that in doing so, I present her to Jesus one day as having been more holy, more pure, more blameless, more righteous, simply because she knew me. Is that what you're doing, man? Whatever it takes 
to help your wife love Jesus more and grow to be more and more like him, to be more pure and more holy? Or is she wearing the pants in the family and dragging you here against your will? You can pick your feet up if it's getting too deep. I'm with you. The purpose of our marriage is not to make us happy, no matter what they say. The purpose of our marriage is to make us holy, because that's what God says. It's supposed to be a picture of how he loves the church, and he doesn't give up on his church. And we're watering down the gospel when we act as if marriage is just something we could toss aside because we have irreconcilable differences. Thank God that Jesus doesn't do that to us when I offend him, but that he stays faithful to me no matter what. Divorce principle number six. Marriage is an illustration of our oneness with Jesus. I know that's the longest one, I'm sorry. Marriage is an illustration of our oneness with Jesus. This is what we're supposed to look like. The way I love my wife, the way she submits to me, the way we mutually submit to each other and respect one another, it's supposed to look like the way Jesus treats his church. He died for them. He was willing to do whatever it took for them. He forgives them no matter what they do. All right, listen, I want to summarize a story from the Bible. We don't have time to look at the whole thing. It's 14 chapters long. But if you get a chance, you're real interested in the subject, read the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. The prophet Hosea in the Old Testament was a unique kind of prophet. Every prophet wasn't like this. A prophet just means they get a message from God, they give it to the people, okay? But, but there were some prophets like Jonah, like Hosea, they went beyond just a message from God to the people, and God said, I want you to actually model for the people what I'm talking about. I want you to tell them what I'm talking about, but I want you to show them too. And he says to Hosea, what I want you to do so my people will get an understanding of how I love them is I want you to go marry this woman named Gomer. Now, don't name your daughter Gomer. That's disrespectful before she's even born, okay? But he, he says, I want you to go marry this woman named Gomer. Gomer's a hooker, and she's going to cheat on you. You're going to marry her, and from day one, she's going to be unfaithful. She's going to prostitute herself to men all over the country. But I want you to stay with her. I want you to show my people how much I love them, even though they prostitute themselves to me. And sure enough, he goes and marries Gomer, and sure enough, she cheats on him over and over again. And at one point in the story, Hosea shows up to Gomer, and she's who knows where with who knows who. And he shows up to her, and he says, I love you. I know what you're doing, but I still love you, and I'll, I'll, I'll even pay your bills. And she's out sleeping around. He's paying to support her still. He says, whenever you're ready, come home. You'll still be my wife. I'll still love you. Because that's what God does for his people. You say, can I get out if they're unfaithful? Yes, you can. God permits it, but he doesn't want it. You can get out if the other one's been unfaithful. But what he wants is not to have divorce through his people, but to have people that model how much he loves us. Listen, I know it looks like Jesus is trying to like shame us right now, but please know that that isn't the Jesus you read in the Bible. You've misheard him so far if that's what you think. In Revelation 19 and 21, the church is illustrated as the bride of Christ. In Hebrews 13, 4, we're told to give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another because we represent the body of Christ. 
Do you see the picture of what we're supposed to be in our marriage? In other words, you have no more right to toss your spouse out the door than God has given himself to toss you out the door when you mess up. And if we could remain faithful to each other, if we could love in spite of the hurt, we would be this beautiful picture of what Jesus is for us. Now let me read you one more passage and then we'll wrap up. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1. Paul's going to share some truth with the church at Corinth. Probably a church like ours or maybe worse than us. You know, they had some issues for sure. But he writes this letter and in verse 1 of chapter 11 he says this, I hope you'll put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. There's that picture again how the church is supposed to be like a marriage relationship with Jesus. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever they say, with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And I'm just asking you today, if the church at Corinth got messed up in the way they thought because of stuff they were saying out there, if they got some stuff wrong and messed up and their view of God's gospel got distorted because of all the things they say, is it possible that our opinion of marriage and divorce and remarriage and all that stuff has gotten skewed because of all the voices that have been bombarding us for the last hundred years in our country? Is it possible that we've gotten some of it messed up? Is it possible that Jesus is trying to say, you've set the bar way too low. Don't get out for any old reason. I don't care what paperwork you do. God has brought you together to be this picture of his love. The bar is much higher than that. Is it possible now listen, I want you to just trust me for a second. I know some of you don't know me very well, but just trust me for a second. I promise I'm not trying to shame anybody or make you feel guilty or like you screwed up your whole life or anything like that, but just help me out for one second. If you're here today and your parents were divorced, will you just raise a hand for me for a second? Just keep it up just for a second. Just keep it up. Now, if you're here today and you yourself have ever been divorced, would you put a hand up just for a second? Keep your hand up if you had your hand up first. Everybody with their hand up. If you've been divorced or if, a parent of, if your parents have been divorced, just go ahead and put your hands up just for a second. Your parents have been divorced or you've been divorced. All right, everybody? Okay. Now keep those hands up. I know it's hard to raise them that long. Keep them up just for a second. Now, now raise your hand if anybody you'd say you love in the world has been divorced. You raise your hand. Now just keep them up just for a second. And I want everybody in the room just to look around for a second. I want you to just look around the room for a second. And I just want you to be honest for a second. Is it possible that we have bought into what the world says is okay to get divorced over? Is it possible that even the church at Corinth or in Whitley City, is it possible that we have devalued marriage to the point where we can get out for any old reason. Is it possible? Is it possible that we've messed up this part of God's gospel? Now listen, 
If you're here today and you've been divorced or you've been remarried or you're on husband or wife number three or whatever, you know, what do you need? What am I saying? Here's what you need. You ready? I, I hope you hear this today. You need the exact same grace that all the rest of us need. Do you understand? Jesus' point so far in these first three weeks, hey, you think you're not killing anybody? You're a murderer. You think you're not an adulterer or an adulteress? You are unfaithful. You think you're not divorced? You think you're dotting all the I's? You think you're righteous with God because you filed some paperwork? You have failed. But grace is waiting for you. The only thing that grace doesn't cover, you ready? The only thing that grace doesn't cover is the self-righteous person that thinks it's all somebody else's fault. That they've got it all right. This is what Jesus is trying to point out in this whole sermon. You think you're all okay with God because you haven't actually killed somebody? You haven't actually slept around? You haven't actually divorced somebody without filing the right paperwork? Garbage. The bar's higher. Can you admit it or not? And I just got to say that if I'm a divorced person or if I've been remarried, I'm sitting around the room right now throughout this whole sermon thinking like, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how justified I was. And I just, I just couldn't be alone anymore. And I, I get all of that. I'm not here to beat you up over that. I'm not telling you to go out and get divorced from somebody else. I'm just telling you to recognize that maybe God hates divorce a little bit more than the rest of us do. Maybe he values marriage a little bit more than the rest of us do. Maybe he would allow us some grace if we would just admit we actually messed some stuff up instead of flaunting around like we did it all right. Instead of acting like we got this thing together. Why? Well, because I filed the paperwork. What? God joined that together. There's grace for that. There's grace for that. Just don't walk around acting like you did it all right. Acting like you haven't offended God. Acting like you haven't sinned. Acting like your divorce was the exception and God put his stamp of approval on it. All I'm saying is when you look at these principles, is it possible that we've believed what they say and we think that God's encouraged my divorce? That he endorsed my divorce? That we think marriage can be with whoever I want, however many people I want? Is it possible we think that marriage doesn't have to be permanent for life? Is it possible we think he doesn't really hate divorce? Is it possible that we think our divorce wasn't sinful and it had no damage to the people around us or ourselves? Is it possible that we've looked at marriage for all these years as a way to make me or somebody else happy instead of as an example of how Christ loves the church? Is it possible that all these passages from God's word that he says today, we read, is it possible that we've let the things they say distort the way we think of this subject? Is it possible? That's all I'm asking. Grace is available for you today. I want to encourage you while we close the service just to get honest with God. Be like, God, I know they hurt me. I know they hurt me. But I know you still didn't really want me to get divorced. I'm sorry. I, I know that they mistreated me and maybe they even slept around on me and cheated me. But I know that that divorce still brings some damage into my life with it. God, I, I know I didn't understand what marriage was and what it was supposed to be, and I spent so many years trying to just make myself happy instead of pursuing your holiness, but I'm sorry for that. And what God is offering you in that moment is not shame and condemnation 
what he's going to offer you is be like, hey, I still love you. How do I know that? Because they dragged a woman in front of him. We talked about her last week who was guilty of all this stuff. And Jesus didn't say, pick up the stones and wail her with them. He said, hey, none of you are perfect. I'm not going to condemn you. Go out and do the right thing from now on. I'd love to talk with you more about it if you got some confusion or, or you want to do the right thing going forward. But man, just hear God's word and receive grace from him today. But that grace is only available if you'll actually admit you're broken. If you'll actually admit there's some damage from the way we've lived. It isn't available to the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks they've got it all figured out. That's what Jesus is really trying to teach us. Maybe marriage is a bigger deal than we thought it was. And we should get honest and repent of the things we've been involved in in our life. Whether they were all our fault or not, there's still damage there. Can we own it? If we can, God will give us grace. I promise. He's faithful and just to give us grace all the time. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, this is hard truth today. It's hurtful maybe to some people. And God, I pray you would just cast a shadow over our building right now of grace. You would give the people in the room who have been divorced, the people who have been unfaithful to their spouse, the people who have been remarried, you just give them eyes to see the truth as you laid it out, that you don't hate their guts. You're not looking to condemn them, but you're just trying to be real and honest and let them know that this isn't the way I intended it from the beginning. And there are damaging effects to that. And God, if we could own that, you would just lavish us with love and grace and help. God, would you give the people in our room the courage to in their heart just cry out to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I've done, the way I've hated my brothers, the way I've lusted after strangers, the way I've thought I was doing the right thing, getting out of a relationship I should have stuck in. We just give us the courage to respond to your word with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.